0: longer Talk me. Radio. That's what I really wanted to do. You put the camera
1: down with cats.
0: With cats. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, happy
1: holidays, everybody. We've had a great great holiday weekend, even with all the cold and the snow. Happy, happy Boxing Day, everybody. Happy Boxing Day. Ooh, that for you? All right. see you Maybe sort kind of. Maybe of. Maybe. Maybe.
0: So just approach the cast line tonight. Yep.
1: So
0: we that family obligations.
1: Oh, I turned off the Wi-Fi on it. I'm trying to turn off the volume on it. Um, <laughs> technical issues, as always. So we pose technical issues. So
0: cheers to getting yourself back together again. Cheers. So cheers.
1: Last show before the new year
0: you're
1: going to
0: have a whole whopping three of them next month. Yes, yeah, we are. Because uh, our schedule. Is really <laughs> are yeah. you on
1: online no, I'm getting there. Will
0: you go ahead and do a close-up? Maybe. Marcia's on. I see Marcia. Okay. Hello. All right. So, um, yeah, Chris um, and I are running We're just doing Friday, Saturdays at this point.
1: except um, so for this week, we're
0: doing Thursday, Friday. That's right. Because of the holidays fall. Because we're not
1: going out um, on New Year's mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, we're not going out on any night so it might be celebratory in no time. We just will not do that.
1: Okay. It's not our thing.
0: Okay. All right. So we're going to go ahead and talk about ghost stories in the dead of winter, otherwise known as haunted Christmas tales, part two.
1: So we did this last year. Yeah. Different version of it, of course. Different stories. So we got new stories for everybody to this year for the uh, stories around the Christmas season. Mm-hmm. So all kinds of, um, there's ghost stories, there's other kind of inexplicable, spooky, paranormal stuff. That, um, well, we
0: just decided we throw it in, so it happened around this time of year. Yeah,
1: as you, do, as you. do.
0: Yes. So permissible religious lore to the haunting traditions of Charles Dickens, Supernatural, and and the Christmas Carol. Christmas and the paranormal phenomenon have a very close relationship. For countless of generations, Christmas, Yule, the winter solstice, all have been associated with magic, miracles, and, of course, they don't have any rational explanation. So whether you're a believer or think of such tales, were are all ah, humbug. Well, they do make for some interesting and intriguing and often fine-singling tales. So we're going to start with the one called The Ghost of Kure. It was Christmas time of 1995 and Paige was visiting with her aunt at her home on a reservation in North Dakota. Some of her family were in the living room watching television. The kids were playing in the rooms and sleeping. Paige was sitting with her uncle and aunt working on the puzzle at a table. Paige's cousin was working late at the casino and was set to be home around the city. As Paige's cousin arrived home and was walking towards the house, she looked in the window and saw Paige sitting at the table with her uncle sitting across to her. She also saw someone standing to the left of Paige, and someone standing in the corner. She continued to walk into the house, thinking nothing of it, and then she got inside and said hello and put her stuff away and joined her family Mm -hmm. at the table. As they were were sitting there talking, Paige's cousin looked at her and asked who was standing next door a few minutes ago, and who was in the corner. Paige told her no one had been there, but her cousin insisted. Yeah, there was someone standing next to you. It looked like your mom, and she was playing with your hair. Paige's hand went to her long hair. She was wearing down on it. Paige was suddenly shaken up and at the thought she was only 12 years old at the time, and her cousin swore up and down that someone had been standing over her, rubbing her head and washing her foot to puzzle together with her own and her. and that there was another person standing behind that person in the corner. Their minds drifted back to family members that had passed, and they got to thinking about Paige's cousin's mother, who so had passed away on her birthday a week before Christmas back in 1992. And Paige's family, aunts, and uncles were just as close and important as mothers and fathers. And Paige started to relax, and the idea of being visited by, by her recently passed aunt was quite soothing. Seeing strange things around the holidays had come to be expected by Paige, and where others might be frightened by the prospect, Kate often takes comfort in the idea that her family visits for the holidays, no matter what side of the mortal coil they may stand on.
1: Hello. Um. Let's see, no real we'll chatting yet. We have a few people watching. Okay. Oh, uh, I see. Hey, yeah. Anna. Yeah. We're doing well on yourself. Glad uh, you're here, here tonight. But, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, we kind of really – we just dove right into things tonight. Yeah, we did. Yeah. So, uh, let, let's do a little recap. I
0: think that was the boys that stayed The boys
1: best. are moving furniture upstairs. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so let's see. Yeah, well, of course, we got Christmas yesterday, yeah. which was a lovely, relaxing day for us.
0: It was. And, well, the tree came down this morning because the cat –
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Should I go that? Might want to check on that. I'll be right back. That was, wow, yeah. I don't know if y'all heard that. Anyway, I'll carry on. So, yeah, Christmas was yesterday, <laughs> but then uh, um, we had a uh, leading up to Christmas, we got together with some friends for, uh, for some Christmas Eve dinner right around the corner at Patrick Henry's Pub and Grill, which was very delightful. I'm glad to be able to see everybody there right before the holiday, and then uh, we had done our reading of uh, the uh, the story that we did a couple weeks ago, our uh, "Told After Supper," the traditional Victorian story. We, uh, uh, we 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 did a live reading of that down at Richboro Brewing last Thursday. They we were kind enough to let us come on in and kind of kick over the floor for a little while. while we uh, while we read that aloud, and uh, we had a lot of fun doing that. So, so that's about it. And, yeah, that's all that we've had going on here over the, uh, the last couple of weeks. It's been low-key. And has low key its our low season. Um, but, yeah, so here we are now, Boxing Day, the after Christmas. And uh, I wanted to go ahead and kind of mention all that before we dive into this next set of stories because this next set of stories is very, very much related directly to the Christmas holiday in the sense that we we're actually going to talk about some Santa Claus sightings. Um, so... Uh, these may not necessarily be ghost stories. We don't want to actually think of um, our, our dear, beloved Santa Claus as being, uh like, be a uh, departed. But um, we do definitely kind of catch in there with some of the uh, supernatural stuff because, you know, eh, you know, for people to truly believe that they had a sighting of Mr. Claus himself is really kind of a little bit of a leap for some people. So got a couple of those stories for you here right now. And uh, yeah, let's just say, so is there a child alive who didn't try to sneak downstairs and hide behind a couch or a chair or something waiting for the sound of sleigh bells as the clock strikes midnight on Christmas? Okay. Oh, yeah, that's one of those to get kind of taken time. Yeah, so now, of course, they're hoping to catch a glimpse of old St. Nick coming down the chimney with a big sack full of toys and treats. At least they hope that it's toys and treats. That time that they accidentally set, law, set the lawn on fire had a lot of them about a big bag of coal. But regardless, another part of the tradition always involves being disappointed and having to trudge back up the bed without ever beholding the mantle. After all, the jolly old elf is always too clever to be caught, right? Santa Claus is one of those spirits who's supposed to haunt Christmas. Ever since 1822, when Clement Moore wrote his mortal poem, The Night Before Christmas, amidst the noise, there can be found some possible truth of encounters with the elusive elf. We're going to start with the experience of a uh, a young man named Jason. Now, this was all the way back Christmas Eve 1976 in Gresham, Oregon. Jason was about five years old, and his father had just taken a job in Grants Pass, Oregon, and thus left Jason and his mom alone for Christmas. It was difficult not having his father there. It was their first Christmas without him. Jason had been sleeping in, on his, in his mom's room on Christmas Eve when they heard something on the roof. Of course, being a child, he thought it was Santa Claus, but his mother thought it was a burglar and told him to stay in bed as she cautiously went out the window. Jason was excited and, um, scared, well, excited and scared while he watched his mom look out the window. She just stared and continued staring even when he asked what was out there. When she returned to bed, she had a mesmerized look on her face. This was when Jason jumped out of bed and ran to the window himself. What he saw was Santa, his sleigh, and reindeer flying off of their roof into the sky just like on the Christmas card. Jason never understood why he and his mother never talked about what happened that night and what they had seen. When he tried to ask her about it, she would refuse to discuss it and tell him to go to sleep. Jason didn't understand that his mother was afraid she might have been losing her mind. Years later, in Jason's high school German class, he had to tell a Christmas story. Jason Jason shared this story with his group's classmates, and all of these classmates laughed at him and he never heard the end of it. Even after he explained that he was serious about what had happened that night, uh, none of them would uh, would let up. They were absolutely relentless in their mockery. But after class, another student came up to him, one that he did not know nor recognize, and told him that it was in fact a great Christmas story. He went on to tell Jason that if one truly believed he may once in his life experience what Jason had seen on that Christmas night when he was five years old. Then the kid left, and Jason never saw him again. Who was he? An angel? A messenger? Jason didn't know. But when he got home that day, he decided to talk to his mother about what had happened that night. He pressed her for answers. She finally opened up about having a difficult time because his father wasn't around for Christmas that year. She hoped he didn't think her crazy, but she saw Santa's sleigh and reindeer leaving their roof taking off in the sky. The roof had animal prints and disturbed snow where the sleigh had been sitting. She didn't want to speak of it because she thought she had been hallucinating. She had received negative feedback when she told her father about it and had not spoken about it since then. Jason confirmed her sightings with his own and added that he had heard sleigh bells in the night sky. They both were relieved with confirmation of the miracle they had witnessed when they truly had needed.
0: Next is Ellen's story, and this is Christmas Eve of 1959. Ellen was staying up late to watch Miracle on 34th Street. She was too old to believe in Santa Claus, but the movie got to thinking. She turned to her older brother Bobby. She thinks Santa could be real. Bobby rapsed her about claiming how soable she was because of the movie. After the movie, she and her sister went up to bed, and her mother was calling out that Santa wouldn't come until they were fast asleep. Well... Ellen realized that she wished she could still believe in Tample of her sister, because that was half the fun of Christmas. Ellen and her sister had shared a bedroom, and after they were both asleep, Ellen was woken by a light coming from the hallway. She knew there was a nightlight out there, but it wasn't like the light she saw. This was a whitish-blue beam that seemed to fill the house. She crept out to the hallway to look over the railing, expecting to see her father. Instead of her father, she saw a man near the Christmas tree, and she tiptoed down the stairs, not wanting him to see her. Just as he turned towards her, she realized this was not her father. He was a strange man dressed in very strange clothing. He had a big fur coat trimmed with white and gold fur and a big fur hat. The clothes looked really old-fashioned. He smiled at Ellen. She smiled back. She knew she should be scared, but there was something about him. It put her at ease. It made her feel a little joyful, even. As much as she wanted to talk to the man, she felt as if something was turning her around and gently pushing her back up the stairs. In the hallway, she stopped to look over the railing to see what he was doing, and there was no one there. Had Ellen been sleepwalking and dreaming the entire thing? She went back to bed, completely bewildered. On Christmas morning, Ellen was awakened by her sister jumping on her bed yelling, Get up! Get up! And she crawled out of bed and went downstairs to the tree where everyone had gathered. Her mother commented that Ellen was very sleepy this morning. Ellen then asked her parents that they had seen the weird light on night. She went on to describe the light and finding the man downstairs. And after asking why she didn't come and get them, Ellen then described the man that, and that he didn't say anything and disappeared. Her sister immediately started to cry that Ellen had seen Santa. Ellen explained that it wasn't Santa. He hadn't been wearing a big red suit or a floppy red hat. Her father, who had been listening intently, suddenly turned and left the room. He returned a few minutes later with a book. Once he found the image and turned it around, he asked if this was who she had seen. Ellen explained that she saw the picture and that it was indeed the nightly visitor. that her father had explained to the rest of the Shock family that the image was St. Nicholas, drawn in the 18th century. So Ellen
1: had indeed seen Santa. When Misty was nine years old, she could not get to sleep on Christmas Eve because she was so excited about the present. She was wondering if her parents had anything to do with the gift that she had received from Santa the year before. Her family lived in Texas. And even though it was frosty cold outside that night, the house was toasty warm with the heat on. So toasty warm, in fact, that Misty was left feeling a little parched. She got out of bed, cracked open her bedroom door to make sure no one was out in the living room so she could get something to drink without being seen. She also figured that it would be a great opportunity to try and buy a glimpse of Santa. Peeking out the door, Misty caught a glimpse of someone crouching by the family Christmas tree. Her first thought was that it was one of her parents until the figure stood up and turned around. To her shock, she was faced with Santa Claus, but her surprise went a little deeper still. Strangely, she could see the Christmas lights from the tree shining through him. He was taking the stockings down off of the mantel, placing them on the coffee table. When he turned, started to turn around to put the next stocking on the table, Misty closed the door and jumped into bed. The next morning, she woke up and told her sister what she had seen. Misty told her where Santa had put the stockings. When they went into the living room, the stockings were where Misty had seen Santa put them the night before. They both turned and looked at each other and froze for a moment. From then on, Misty has told everyone that she still firmly believes in Santa to this day. I'll start with one more. And moving on to another one. This is Christmas Eve in 1961. Carrie was living in Boardman, Ohio with her family. Her bedroom was at the far end of the house, and she had gone to sleep with half the anticipation of what Christmas morning would bring. Before Before she could get to Christmas morning, however, she was awakened at a very late hour, unsure as to exactly what time it was. Her attention was drawn to her bedroom door at the opposite corner of the room, and she watched as the door gently opened. She pretended to close her eyes because she didn't want her mother or father to catch her up in the middle of the night. A nightlight in the hallway threw some dim lights through the door as Carrie peered out with barely open eyes. What stood in the doorway was not at all what Carrie had expected. She found herself looking at a man dressed in a red suit. He had white trim around his waist like fur, a long white beard, and was wearing a Santa hat. He had red pants and black boots. He stood there and looked at Carrie for a few seconds, then closed the door. Carrie was terrified and pulled the blankets over her head. When she had summoned the courage to pry her eyes open again, there was nobody there. What Carrie had witnessed left an indelible impression on her. She would never forget seeing the man in the red suit for the rest of her days. The following morning, Carrie asked her mother if she or her father had been out of bed the previous night. Carrie's mother said no, and in in fact, she had already received a fantastic Christmas present. Carrie's four-month-old sister had slept through the night for the first time since she had been born, allowing mom and dad a much-needed rest. When Carrie told her mother that she had seen Santa, Carrie's mother grew quite angry, saying that Carrie had most certainly not seen any such man in the house. While Carrie drops the discussion that day, she
0: insists
1: that she knows exactly what she saw.
0: This is Mrs. Wages' tale from 1980s and 2009. Uh, now, she wanted to call Mrs. Wages because she didn't want her real name revealed. But she grew up in the suburb of Memphis, uh, Memphis, Tennessee in the 1980s. On one Christmas Eve, she, when she was eight or nine years old, she was coming home from a Christmas party with her parents. Well, when they pulled up in the driveway, they very clearly saw Santa Claus and his sleigh hovering above their house. The sound of the sleigh bells filled the air, and the sleigh was gently illuminated so that they could clearly make out Santa sitting there with the reins in his hands. There were a number of reindeer leading the sleigh, but there wasn't enough time to count them before Santa gave the family a friendly wave and flew off. Now Mrs. Wage's father was an absolute shock. He was an air traffic controller and when he went back to work after the holidays, he asked if anything unusual had been on the radio radar that night, but there was nothing notable to report that could have helped explain what the family had seen about their house that night. Fast forward a couple of decades and Mrs. Wages is all grown up and out doing some Christmas shopping of her own. It's Black Friday of two thousand and nine and she was waiting in line at Target when she started chatting with a fellow shopper. They started talking about the shopping itself, but then a woman mentioned out of nowhere that her brother had seen Santa in his play two years before. What the woman described brought back Mrs. Wages' childhood memories in a flood, and has left Mrs. Wages sitting by the window every Christmas Eve night since then, hoping to catch another glimpse of jolly old St. Nick. On Christmas Day of 2008 in Bloomington, Indiana, Scarlett's morning got off to the usual Christmas start. The family gathered around the tree to open gifts, and then she turned her attention to prepare the early afternoon supper for family and friends. Everyone enjoyed their meal, and by 5 p.m., everyone had departed except for her sister and brother-in-law, who lived with her. With a hearty Christmas meal in their bellies, they went to take a nap, leaving Scarlett along with her dog, Toby. Toby. Scarlett decided that a nap would be a wonderful idea and went to her own room. While her sister had left her door open at the end of the hall, Scarlett firmly shut her own. Toby curled up on the foot of Scarlett's bed to sleep as usual. With it being a chilly evening, Scarlett pulled the blankets and comforter up around her head and curled up to nap for an hour. Just as she was starting to doze off, Scarlett heard the latch on her bedroom door open. She waited several seconds for her sister or brother-in-law to say whatever they had come to say, but there was no other sound. It was almost 7 p.m., and so the bedroom was pitch black. The lights in the kitchen and the bathroom were still on, and there were a lot of Christmas lights in the living room, so the hallway was well lit. Scarlett would have been able to see whoever was at the door just by lifting her head. She pushed the blankets down and looked at her head up from the pillow, but just as she would have been able to see who was in the doorway, an extremely bright light hit her brightened face. Scarlett shielded her eyes. Turn out that you're blinding me. <laughs> the light immediately disappeared. She heard the bedroom door latch and close. Scarlet turned on her bedside lamp, looked around the bedroom, and there was nobody there except for her and Toby. Toby jumped off the bed and went to the door without showing any signs of alarm. At first, Scarlett wasn't frightened because Toby was a Dutch shepherd and was trained to be an excellent watchdog. Since Toby was already up, she decided to let him outside and see what her sister and her husband needed. But when she went into the hallway, she could see both of them still in bed. Scarlett took Toby into the living room and let him outside, and there was nobody there either. Ordinarily, Scarlett wasn't a skittish person. Um, Strange noises or lights wouldn't alarm her, but this situation was eerie. While thinking about the blinding light, her skin started to crawl. The latch to Scarlett's bedroom door was notoriously tricky. It had to be jiggled at just the right top to open. There's no way the door would have just opened on its own, let alone closed on its own again. Scarlett couldn't understand how her sister or brother-in-law couldn't come into her room and then return to their own bed, crawled under the covers. In just a few seconds, it took her to reach the hallway. But she figured it had to be one of them because Toby would always bark and growl at anyone and everything that he didn't immediately recognize. Later that evening, Scarlett's brother-in-law got up to go to work that night. She asked him uh, what he wanted earlier in the evening when he opened her door. He looked puzzled and said, I never got up. I certainly never opened your door. I slept soundly the whole time I was in bed. Okay. So Scarlett asked her sister, did you want something earlier this evening when he opened my door? She also looked puzzled and said, I just off and on, but I never got out of bed. I never saw or heard anything in the hallway. So who was Scarlett's special Christmas sister? How'd they get in and out so quickly? Like most people, the thoughts of loved ones are always close at hand during the holiday season. When she first went to lay down, Scarlett was thinking how happy she was that her small family enjoyed a pleasant Christmas. But wouldn't it have been so much better if her mother and brother had still been alive? Sure. Scarlett turned to thinking that it was her brother's spirit stopping by to say, Merry Christmas. I still think of you too. Pray as she might, Scarlett hasn't been able to find a logical explanation for this strange event. She's half afraid that her heart stopped during her sleep and the light she saw was the bright light people were reported to see after near-death experiences. She half laughs at herself thinking, leave me, leave it to me to see the stairway to heaven and ruin my chance at eternal paradise by saying, turn out that light. <laughs> she has since made a mental note that if she ever sees another bright light, she's going to clean up the language. Just thinking. Just Probably a good idea.
1: <clears throat> so now we're going to move on. These have all been really happy, cheery stories so far. This one's not.
0: It's a, it's not
1: terrible.
0: But it's not cheery.
1: No, not quite really cheery either. It's a little... It's a little... A little, a little of a bit of a grim twist to the end, a little unsettling, if you will. So this is a story about a, uh, a, a woman named Paulina. And as a child, she was visiting the family in western Samoa for the Christmas holiday. So we're, like, clear around the other side of the planet right now. No. Um, Paulina was actually from Australia herself, and she wasn't familiar with the area. And she would spend most of her time following her cousin around. This found her playing hide-and-seek with some of the other kids from her mother's childhood, childhood village, and naturally this game took them to the graveyard. Because it does. Because that's, like, that's what you do, right? That's place for hide-and-seek. Yes. Now, as creepy as it was, it did afford them some light from the adjacent church. They hid in the shadows and waited for the boy who was it. Paulina and her cousin could hear him coming, so they kept her quiet. The boy was pretty loud. They wondered what he was making a fuss about, and so eventually they decided to give up hiding, and they went out to see. They followed the noise to the church and found the boy laying on the floor, dead still. They ran to get his parents, and when they all came back, they found the boy still laying there. The boy regained consciousness, and his parents took him home. They were forbidden to ever play in the graveyard again. Now, the boy later told them that he had been walking that he had walked into the church as he thought that his brother was hiding in there. He saw a boy standing right at the front of the altar. He didn't know if it was his brother because the boy's back was turned. He ran up and tapped this boy on the shoulder, and as soon as he did, the strange boy disappeared, and the boy who was it fainted. It turns out that the boy's brother had been home the whole time. He hadn't been to the church at all. What remains unsettling about the whole ordeal is that the boy who fainted has been ill since that night and never did recover. Whoever was in the church must have been angry to be disturbed by the kids at that Christmas time. Sounds like a bit of a Scrooge to me. So, next story, we are going to go ahead and come back stateside and uh go into another Christmas Eve, this time it's about 3.30 in the afternoon. So is still up, but it's going to be setting fairly soon. Yes, also, nonetheless, we do uh, go and find ourselves at an appliance store in Edmondson, Kentucky. And uh, the owner there, his name is Jake, and at three, thir- three o'clock on this afternoon, he winds up receiving a call. Now Jake answered the phone just as he had many times before by asking how he could help the caller. However, this would go like no other service call that he had handled before. The caller's name was Mildred, and she requested that Jake go to check on her parents' refrigerator. She didn't know what was wrong with the appliance, but she had a feeling that something was, and it would be terrible if her elderly parents had to be without it on Christmas. Jake took the job, wrote down the address, but there was something off about the location. Jake asked, hasn't this house been vacant for years? Mildred stated that he must be thinking of a different house in the area. When Jake arrived at the house, he recognized it as the old and dilapidated dwelling he had been thinking of. But to his surprise, it wasn't vacant. An elderly woman opened the screen door. A door he remembered was hanging by one hinge when he last saw it. She invited him in and thanked him for coming on such short notice on Christmas Eve as well. As they entered the living room, Jake met the husband who was laying on a small bed near the fireplace. Jake couldn't shake the feeling that the smell of death hung in the air. He inquired about the man's health and was told it was just a wasting sickness known as old age. He gently asked if a hospital or nursing home would be better and was immediately told that moving her husband there would kill him. They had lived in the house for 70 years and wanted to stay to the very end. Jake then steered the conversation towards the refrigerator in question. The woman excused herself for taking, talking his ear since they don't get very many visitors. Jake took pause at this statement and asked about her daughter visiting them. She simply replied that their daughter has been dead for 15 years. Now, Jake was thoroughly confused but decided to turn his attention to the service job. The refrigerator was an ancient one, and it was indeed quite dead. When he opened it, there was no food or drink inside, and the woman couldn't tell him when it had stopped running or how they had been surviving without it. It took Jake nearly an hour to get the Fridge working again. When he was finished, a younger teenager came into the room. Jake could see that something was different about her, and she did seem a little maybe mentally challenged. A wave of intense love swept through him, and an inner voice told him that he couldn't possibly charge these people for the work that he had done. The teenager then walked out, and he gathered up his tools and was about to leave when the woman asked how much they owed him. Nothing, ma'am, he replied. Merry Christmas. Her husband protested a bit, and Jake asked them to please accept the work as a Christmas present to them. As Jake drove home, he pondered the strange service call. He was sure it was the same house he had passed so many times with a trash-strewn yard, dilapidated and vacant, even though he had just interacted with the residents. When he reached home, he decided to call Mildred to let her know that her parents' fridge was up and running, but when he dialed the number, he got a recording. The number you have dialed is no longer in service. Jake then called the phone company, only to be informed that the number had not been in use for many months and they had no record of Mildred as a customer. At this point, Jake was sure he was going crazy. He put on his coat and walked out of the house, even though dinner was just about ready. He had to know what was going on and returns to the old house. When he arrived, he was greeted by the decrepit house so firmly fixed in his memory. The screen door was hanging by one hinge. The front yard was filled with rusty junk. Jake climbed out of his truck and walked through the deserted house. The smell of death and decay was so overpowering that he had to back out of the door. He jumped into his truck and drove home like one possessed. He was even pulled over by the local policeman, but let off with a warning because it was Christmas Eve. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jake believes he had an encounter with an angel named Mildred and the ghosts of the couple who spent 70 years in that house and refused to leave it. He somehow walked through a door into another time and place, visible only for a brief period of time before disappearing again.
0: Who says they don't make service call to the other side. a so, Sam, we need that type of service these days. All right, so um, this one's called Calling 1-800-The-Other-Side. We discussed your seeing calls from the dead before, and this is one of those stories set firmly in the Christmas season. Christmas time seems to be a peculiar or particular popular time for those ghostly long-distance calls. Our deeply departed ones like to check on us make sure things are going all right. Jason was despondent. It was Christmas Day and all he could think about was his dad, who so had passed away exactly a year ago from a heart attack. They had been extraordinarily close and due to this closeness, Jason was finding it difficult to get into that Christmas spirit. To make matters worse, Jason had also just gone through a divorce. Jason spent Christmas with his sister and her family going through the motions of the holidays, changing the presents, eating Christmas dinner. Unusual chatter of family trying to catch up on life events from the year. But his heart just wasn't in it. After bidding goodnight to his family, Jason turned in early. He was awoken in the middle of the night by the phone ringing. After answering it, an onslaught of static met his ear. But through the hissing and crackling, he heard a familiar voice say, Jay, Jay Jaybo. The only one person called him Jaybo, his dad. Jason instantly recognized that Brooklyn brogue and put his mind spinning with the impossibility of the implication. Pop, he yes. gasped. Jay, Jabo. The voice struggled against the static. Is that you, Pop? It's okay, Jabo. Everything's okay, said the voice. Then the static drowned out the voice and the line fell dead. Jason was laying there shaking. How could his father possibly have called him on the phone? Was it somebody's idea of a sick joke? He finally fell asleep, and when he awoke the next day, he had almost convinced himself he had dreamed it. Then his young nephew came into his room and asked, called him last night. Jake broke down and wept. He wished that call could have gone on forever. Despite his grief, Jason now knew his father would always be with him. And finally, a semblance of peace had settled into him, and that had eluded him all year. The Twilight Zone, that brilliant series created by Rod Sterling, had many tales of the paranormal that back then were largely dismissed as pure science fiction. But today, they totally be accepted within the realm of possibility by paranormal researchers. One of the zone's favorite subjects was life after death. And in at least three episodes, the telephone was used, utilized as a vehicle for the dead to contact the living. In long-distance call, a young boy communicates with his dead grandmother via a toy cell phone she gave him minutes before she died. In the night call, an elderly woman receives late-night calls from her long-dead true love when the phone line goes down over his tombstone. And in the hitchhiker, a woman who died in a car crash phones home to talk to her mother. Although most of us would probably be highly skeptical if we were informed that incidents like this had occurred The truth is is that the phone calls from the dead are a documented phenomenon with predictable characteristics. The calls are almost always from someone very close to the recipient, and they tend to happen within 24 hours of the caller's death, although they can occur up to several years following the death. People often report receiving such communications on a specific holiday, a birthday, or anniversary. Sometimes the calls are made to announce the person's passing or say farewell. Other times, the dead have been known to make a person's passing, or excuse me, make a warning call to a person, alerting loved ones on the impending danger or imparting important information. Actress Ida Lupino, for instance, reported receiving a phone call from her father who had been dead for six months, telling her whereabouts of some important documents needed for the settling of his escape. She found them exactly where you said they would be. Phone call communication with the other side can also be a two-way affair. You can make a call with someone, have a normal conversation, and find out later that that person had died earlier. This happened to Jimmy, a young woman who was living in California, and felt the overwhelming urge to call her dad who he was living alone in Maine just before Christmas. I usually phoned him on Christmas Day, she said. But for some reason I couldn't explain. I felt I had to call him right then. I just had this sense that something was wrong. Jenny dialed her father's number, and when he answered, she immediately said, Dad, are you okay? Sure, honey, he replied. I come you are calling now. Christmas is just a couple of days away. They had a long, cozy conversation. I was afraid something had happened to you, Jim said. That's ridiculous. Her dad laughed. I've never felt better in my life. Jenny hung up, vastly relieved until later that day, when the Maine State Police called. We're oh, sorry to have to give you the news, the officer apologized. So there was a bad ice storm last night, and your father slipped it and hit his head. He died immediately, so we didn't discover him until a short while ago. That's impossible, Jenny exploded. I just spoke to my dad a few hours ago, and he was fine. But her father had indeed passed away. Indeed, his spirit, Orn, had probably never been felt better in his life and somehow answered his phone to talk to his daughter one last time. How exactly does one explain a phone call from the other side? There are a number of theories. The most plausible suggests that there are pure energy forms. Spirits can connect to the waves and reach us via cell phones, computers, TVs, radios, and other electrical devices. But another theory suggests that communication is either a fantasy or tricks being played on us by low length spirits. It's a well-known fact that spirits can be mischievous, and that many enjoy playing tricks on the unsuspecting living, especially during the jolly and forgiving holiday season.
1: And that was admittedly a short episode for us. Mm -hmm. So that was the last story that we have for you this evening. We do appreciate you uh, taking the time to uh, go ahead and tune in right here day after Christmas, uh, and uh, hope that you've all had a lovely holiday. Uh, Marcia did chime in, because so Beth got a call from one of our students who passed away, or a text. It was a text. A text.
0: Yeah, I actually had a text conversation with a, a student who had passed away on the anniversary of the show, and she had told me how much she missed working on that show. It freaked me out at the time, i got to tell you. Did <laughs> you?
1: Yeah. And who's, uh, yes. So, uh, nobody's playing in paper. That was the uh, beanbag bean bag with a couple <laughs> of the cats crawling around on it. So, excuse the background noise. Sorry about that. The
0: bags right behind the tablet that's recording us.
1: Yeah, the cats have been sleeping all day, and it's now they're time. now they're awake. So,
0: uh, was here. She's been cuddling all day. Yes, and so now sweet.
1: she's as close to the fire as she can be. Yeah. So, but yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, have a had a lovely holiday, nice and relaxing. It's yeah. we're, we're middly a little out of it. It's, yeah. been, uh, it's
0: it, been an odd holiday season for us. So it hasn't been bad. It's been yeah, been odd.
1: Yes. Yeah. Nothing's bad. Just just a little odd. So, And maybe, I don't know, the holiday falling on the weekend and stuff like that and kind of work, you know, messing up and weird work schedules. I stuff. forgot
0: it was Monday. Yeah. I literally forgot it was Monday.
1: Yeah. Until like an hour and a half before the show. it's
0: like, oh, okay, we're ready for the show. I'm like,
1: Yep, that's
0: night. <laughs> Here we are. I was busy working on a script for the end of January.
1: Yes, and uh, it is also wicked cold outside. Yes, it is. Yeah. Aside from going to the storage shed and a little shopping, we never really did get out today.
0: No, we um, we took part of our Christmas decorations down. We'll take the rest down uh, at a Because
1: um, Mr. Mr. Nico and Miss Eunice could not stay out of the Christmas tree, so and I had to go down. It was time.
0: Um, but the rest of the decorations we'll put away later and make the second trip to the storage shed. Um but I had to go and buy winter sports equipment for my skeleton.
1: That's the sled we have here. Yeah. <laughs> so but yeah, so coming up on the end of the year, I have to go back to work. But I'm going to have lunch with friends. Our our usual winter break sushi is tomorrow, which makes me happy. It's winter <laughs> break sushi. Well back to work for me
0: and um uh, <laughs> Birthday yeah. celebration on Friday
1: for yes, you. Yes, I'm getting old.
0: You're only as old as you want to be. So make your choice.
1: I'm going to be the answer to everything.
0: Okay. 42. 42.
1: 42. I will be 42. Okay. Uh, but yes. So that is Friday, and then New Year's, mm-hmm. which will be another weird weekend, honestly. Yes.
0: We're going to celebrate Irish New Year's when we come home and play games and hide from the gunfire that will be
1: happening in the neighborhood. Celebratory. Celebratory gunfire. Because that's what they do. That's how they roll. So but yeah, so that'll be this week.
0: And then starting in January, we're gonna have three episodes Ooh. because of the way things fall. So the first week, January sixth. Yes. And then we'll do the following week as well. So January sixth is gonna be it Mississippi? Yeah.
1: Mississippi, then which is and then Haunted Colorado. Haunted starting
0: the, the I'm starting the state
1: haunts. Like I said, I was going to. You've made a dent already, but we're going to get a couple more checked off next month. And yeah, tomorrow, the yeah. Colorado one's going to make you want to
0: go skiing. Yeah. I'm just saying.
1: Tomorrow night we have that private haunted dinner. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we're working tomorrow night. Yeah. So, work tomorrow night, and um, I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll anyway. figure it out, day at a time. Yeah, that's everything. Next month's gonna be next, next month's gonna be
0: busy yes. for us. Um, so if you are want to see us in person and you're not coming on a tour, Virginia Paracon uh, or at Hanover Tavern. Hanover
1: Tavern, Tavern Paracon. Paracon, you can come see us on Saturday, January 21st there.
0: Mm-hmm. And and you can see me down at the Poe Birthday Bash that um, evening. That evening, I will be. Hanging out down there with the crew. We've got two tours running that night from um, the Shatters of Chakra tour, which includes stories about the Poe Museum. So yeah.
1: Yep. So we've got a couple opportunities to come on out. That big old birthday bash weekend for the Poe Museum. That's they got stuff going all weekend. We're we're going to be doing the tours there on Saturday, but then Monday they're also having their big uh, actual official official like, centennial celebration at El Theater. Yes. So with the author of uh, our R.L. R. R.L. Steins Stein gonna be yes. there, and uh, the, uh, one of the writers, Blank Panther. So, going to be there celebrating a the sen- century of um, Poe history at the Poe Museum here in Richmond.
0: So, definitely come and check that out.
1: Yep. So, a lot going on. Uh, and, uh, yes, Marsha pointed out, yes, there's tours Thursday and Friday this week. Yes. So, um, I so forget. Friday's yet. with
0: Marsha, and it's almost sold out now. So there's only a few tickets left for that one, but we do have tickets for Thursday Capitol Hill.
1: Is that the right wedding room? I thought it was Thursday. I think Marsha's doing Thursday. We'll find out. She asked a second.
0: <laughs> there's oh I'm wrong. Thursday is Marsha. She's almost She's sold out, and Churchill uh, is going on, on Friday. Yes.
1: Yes. With with our good friend Tiffany. Hey. Yep. So, so anyways, yeah, that's what we've got going on this week. I guess Wednesday is going to be an off, a night off for us.
0: Not really off because I'll be working on more scripts.
1: Uh, during the day. I have to go to work. So.
0: I'll be working on Mars scripts. Yeah.
1: But Anyways, mm-hmm. that's kind of what's going on. Then we're uh, laying low for the new year and we'll be back with um, tours again in the new year on Fridays and Saturdays. Uh, speaking of which, there is going to be one special tour next month um, on the 15th.
0: The,
1: what? The 15th. Oh, I was going to say the 14th okay. for John Marshall. Oh, yes. John Marshall's
0: tour is returning next month uh, and also for February. Yep. So, the so, 14th okay. of January for that one. So there's two tours that night, one at 7, one at 8.
1: <laughs> yep. Spaces are very limited. So if you want to join us there, I do strongly encourage you to join us there. You can go ahead and sign up for that anytime now and uh yes we're having a there's a one sunday tour on uh just a, a shadows of chocolate tour on sunday january 15th Yep. so but anyways yeah so that's what we got going on this next month and uh yeah i'm trying to think
0: i think that's all so we will see you guys definitely next um monday january 6th for another facebook live show and if you come out and see us at one of our tours or whatever we we'll uh, next month. That would be awesome. Hope you all have a good New Year, and we will see you on the 6th. Yep.
1: Good night, everybody. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>